listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Thank you for listening. The Infinite Smile Sangha is made possible by the generosity of friends, members, and people who have been touched by this teaching. Please visit our donations page at infinitesmile.org to help us continue our efforts in spreading the Dharma. So what's the boundary between you and peace? Where is it that you search for peace? Where is it that you look for what you want, whatever that might be? These are really good questions to help kind of uh, give our practice a little bit of fuel uncovering that boundary between what we perceive to be a me or a self and peace. Really, really studying that. And that may sound really intellectual and so forth, but really the intention is not for it to be intellectual as much as it is a very, very practical bit of advice that was given to me. Um, I, uh, I had kind of a, I guess it would be fair to say, kind of a varied bit of training, but this idea that we look for boundaries, that we look for the not just boundaries as in personal boundaries, this is my personal boundary, I will do this, I won't do this, this is okay, that's not okay, but a little bit deeper than that. What is the, what is the boundary for any of us between the personal and the, we might call, impersonal? what is mine and what is authored by me and what is all things. And uncovering that is a really, really, uh, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an invitation to instant mysticism. <laughs> it carries us into a place of presence the minute we begin to really ask that question in an authentic way and we let whatever comes up, come up without a filter, without any type of censorship. We just, where's the separation? Where's the boundary between me and peace or between the finite and the infinite? The more we look, the closer we look at that, the more we recognize it. It's a, uh, at best, a semi-permeable membrane that keeps us between the in here and the out there. At best, it's something that is quite, quite flimsy, quite illusory, uh, even though it may seem like it's impossible to penetrate. There's a real simple way of doing so, and that's by uncovering the stillness that is underneath every single thing that moves within you and without you. When we sit still, in other words, we're endeavoring to create a physicalized embodiment of awakening to what's beyond that gossamer boundary, that very, very thin boundary, even though it may appear quite thick, may appear, uh, I refer to it sometimes as a bunker. It may appear that way. But when we really sit still, 
when we still our body and we still our mind, all sorts of really interesting things begin to show up. And I wanted to just share a couple words with you about that that I felt were kind of apropos. Presence shows itself most often as a simple kind of full awareness. Almost everyone has had the pleasure of being in the vicinity of people who carry with them a certain magnetism that can't easily be described. There's just something about them. More often than not, this kind of energetic authority is seen by the ego as charisma, or what a Hindu practitioner might call shakti. Regardless of its name, any being that embodies this presence radiates a certain clarity that we can't seem to ignore. It's like when I'm watching my cat stalking something in the backyard and I can't take my eyes away from what he's doing. The same applies to any of us if we are fully engaged in what we are doing. If at any point in time we are resting in deep attention, it will always have the potential of pulling mysteriously at a part of anyone else nearby, especially when we stalk things in our backyard. Actually, don't do that. Don't, don't stock things in your backyard because it, the type of attention it will pull from your neighbors is the questioning, are they okay? The fully present among us, real quickly here, the fully present among us can't help but be compelling. The space that they occupy speaks to something special within us, our own most sacred sense of being. If we're alert, we can sense this energetic field within ourselves, even as we do even the most mundane of life's work. We can uncover our sacred presence as we water our plants, brush our teeth, eat our meals, wash our dishes, or pay the bills. All that we need to do in order to live from this space is pay full attention to whatever it is that we are doing. And one quick story here. One of my most memorable experiences of presence occurred when I first stepped into the kitchen at Green Gulch Farm Zen Center. The staff busily prepared, uh, prepared breakfast for the community. I helped with the zucchini muffins. As I grated the squash, I couldn't help but notice the precision and care offered by each of the participants in this culinary dance, all of which was done in total silence. It was as if each person were having an intersubjective or telepathic experience with some type of spiritual big chef that called all the shots all at once. One of the cooks in particular was so amazingly focused on slicing strawberries that I could not take my eyes off him. There was nothing unnatural or forced about what he was doing. It just appeared that the entire process of strawberry slicing was an expression of this guy's whole being. His activity was careful and yet carefree, focused and yet open, free of anything extra. Without any reservation whatsoever, he gave every bit of himself to the slicing of these big, beautiful strawberries as a gift to us all. I, on the other hand, was distracted by his grace and kept nicking my knuckles on the grater. As silly as it might sound, a deep longing arose in me to be able to do something, anything, with as much presence and care as the guy slicing strawberries that morning. I wanted in that moment to be able to live from that type of fullness. Whenever we sit still, we have an opportunity to slice strawberries with that kind of fullness. Whenever we sit still, we have this opportunity to just take a break, to relax, to really relax. Whatever went on today, we can make an appointment to deal with it after the sitting. Whatever memory we, we may have that sparks incredible pain, 
If it comes up, great. Hi, nice to see you again. I'm going to deal with you fully after the meditation. Let go. Be right there with it. It'll begin to fall of its own weight. Whatever worry you have about what may come, just make an appointment. Oh, hey, there you are. Worry. How are you, worry? I'll come back and deal with you later. Right now, I'm just going to give you my full, full presence. I'm going to give you my full attention. And the light of that awareness has this mysterious ability to be able to break those bonds that whatever future worry you may have, whatever fear you may have, whatever pain you may have that comes up from the past, whatever memory you may have, they begin to pass by in this big sky mind of ours like clouds. So let's practice that. Our strawberry slicing tonight will be just sitting still as best we can. When thoughts arise, we watch them. Hey, thought. Don't evaluate it. Just, how are you? And if it answers you, just internally smile infinitely. Give it the infinite smile. Okay? So help us with that. What is the me? My thoughts. Mm-hmm. When I'm learning my ego. Yeah. Yeah. And yet your thoughts and the ego are still beautiful expressions of the infinite, aren't they? In and of themselves. Yeah. And in relationship to everything else. They're, they're beautiful. Except they are our, our identification with our thoughts such as it is. Ego's identification with what it writes, It's another way of putting it, that's the grand inhibitor. Justification. Right, justification, that's a good one. Judgment, clinging of any kind. Yep. And so, more than the me or the mine, um, you could, you could uh, uh, uproot that whole thing by looking at the grasping. Whatever is being grasped. Just study that. And when we put our attention to it, when we witness what it is that we're doing, it, it relaxes on, on, yeah, on its own. It's really, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, ma'am? You may have answered the question already. I, I was going to say that um, the awareness is coming easier for me. Mm-hmm. It's the judging when I see what I've just done mm-hmm. that is more difficult because it's there. I mean, the first thing that I do is go, oh, you know, you just blew it big time. Or whether whether it's self judgment or judgment of any other kind, that's the. F- but you're noticing it. I'm noticing it. Yeah. 
Because that notice, that noticing is that space. I'm, and I'm happy about that. Great. <laughs> but I'm, I'm judging the judgment, you know. Right. So. So the, the, here again, kind of like I was just saying to Tim, can you witness the judgment? Can you watch the judgment? The next, the next, yes. That's why it's called a practice. Okay. So when you watch the judgment arise, even though it's that quickly, you know, just boom, it's right there. Can you just go, huh? There you are. That's all you have to say. There you are. It's an idea. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Yeah. Mwah. Yes. Me. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So, in each moment, if there's a death and then a resurrection. Mm Hmm. Um. Does it happen that awakening awakens in each moment, or is there a time when there is no resurrecting of that and it's sustained? I think both are true. And I want to be really careful how I say this, because on the one hand, what we find is that each, each inhalation is a birth, really, if you think about it. Each inhalation is a birth. Each exhalation is a death. You know, our, our entire life is, is measured along that continuum, that sine curve. It's brand new. It's brand new. Every moment is brand new. And awakening is, is a moment-to-moment experience. Okay? No one, in other words, arrives. No one's fully cooked. All right? But there's no choice there? There becomes... A, as our practice becomes deeper and deeper and deeper, our habituation shifts, okay. right? So our habituation, which might be normally to, as, as Iris is pointing out, to just judge, boom, 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 when it's all about, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, we're, we're really contracted, there, over time there becomes this kind of opening. Does it mean we never get angry anymore and that we're cut off from the neck down? We never want to, you know, we never have a lustful thought. Hell no, of course, all that's there. But our relationship to all of that stuff is really, really different. It doesn't catch us like, like it used to. And I can only say that from, uh, uh, from my own experience and from talking to others who I have, I have met along the path who I think are they're, they're teaching the right stuff and they're, they're walking, they're walking with, the, with steps that are really open. And it seems to be something that's very, very similar. I was talking to another teacher actually about this and it was, uh, uh, I was, I was telling him about how funny it was that the Dalai Lama, uh, I went and listened to him give a teaching on, I've shared this with several of you before, he's giving a teaching on the Heart Sutra. And so it's just really thick stuff and, you know, he's kind of going through this and this question comes from the audience, um, do you ever get angry? And he, of course, in his just precious way, <laughs> sounded kind of like a, a cross between Homer Simpson and something. It was just really, just this cool, big laugh. And he says, well, I lose my temper. Mm-hmm. Yes, I lose my temper. And you heard a, a resonant gasp. It's like, no, you're a perfect being. You know, you're, and it's like, come on. You know, 
It's, it, for us, that's, that's ego's story about what an awakened being should be like. And when it does that, it makes it impossible for the ego to even allow for any type of pursuit of awakening. So the brakes are put on right there. So I think uh, both are true. I think on the one hand, it is a moment to moment to moment. Uh, enlightenment is an appropriate response, really, on the one hand. And on the other hand, awakening also shows us uh, the opening that we all share together all the time. And as such, it becomes a little easier. We don't, it's not, we're not, it's like the magnets have been shifted or turned down or something like that. There can just be an inappropriate response that's caught immediately or seen through yeah. immediately. Mm -hmm. And that's sustained awakening. Um, I don't know. I think there's, I mean, we've talked about this before, there's no permanence, right? Awakening isn't permanent. You could find someone, I mean, I'm sure some of you have even run into teachers that, you know, clearly they, they move with it, that, they're just dripping with that throb of presence, right? And they're total jackasses. And they've, they've done, they've, they've done all sorts of jackassery. <laughs> Damage. Damage. Yes. I like I like damage better. Although jackassery is more fun to say, <laughs> you know, do you, you, you hearing me? Yeah, it's a, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. So it is a practice. It is a practice. We're all on the path, whether you're a teacher or not. You're on the path, you know. Yeah. Teachers are students too, and students are teachers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you think it's possible to live with someone for a long time who is not on the same path and and still make it work? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Your awakening is not dependent on anybody else. It's just more to work with. Yeah, it's just more to work with. You, you, you're lucky in one sense that you have a teacher right there, you know? So, um, yeah, it's absolutely, uh, absolutely not a requirement. Every time he bums you out, pisses you off, says something mean, that's something for you to practice with, Okay. Every time he's loving, every time he's exactly the man you always thought he was, more to practice with there. Don't cling to either thing, okay? And then respond appropriately. That way, whether you remain together or not, there's more consciousness permeating throughout the relationship, okay? Whether or not any of it ever rubs off on him. Whether, whether or not... <laughs> yeah. don't, don't hold back. Maybe I won't record this part. The, the, here's, the, here's the thing, Aaron. It's, it's, it, what happens is, what happens is, the unconsciousness cannot, cannot last in the face of consciousness. It has to move. Okay? 
And that's something for, for you to look at too. Where does your unconsciousness go? Because the most contagious thing in the world is unconsciousness, right? And so if his unconsciousness is actually forcing yours, then you have dysfunction. If his unconsciousness can be met with the white-hot fire of your awareness, suddenly the relationship changes because there's more awareness there. Now, both of you at that point need to make a decision. You keep going or no? And it's scary. Lots of people, will, they'll stop their spir spiritual work because they don't want to ever have to face that even though it may be what's true. You know? And they may find there's a doorway for both to walk through together. So, good luck. I totally missed what everybody was laughing about. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to repeat it? <laughs> no, it's just very cute. You, you were saying, even if, it's, well, what, is it, is it going to rub off on him? <laughs> and, and basically, that's the ego saying, God damn it, I am sitting still, I am doing this meditation, and he's still so full. Oh. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> Yes. Um, two things. I think what I heard you say is that when one shifts, it's what happens that another. If there's a shift here, there's a shift here. No. I didn't not say that. A shift to 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 conform. I'm not saying that. Mm. I'm saying if there's a if there's some kind of shift here, there's something somewhere. Okay. You want me to clarify it? And I have another question too. Yes. Okay. So I'll start there. If, there's, if the shift occurs within you, okay, and you can practice being present with all of their unconsciousness and your unconsciousness simultaneously, the relationship has to change. The relationship has to change. They don't, but the relationship does. That's what I was trying to communicate. And what is um, responding appropriately? I don't know what the appropriate... Yeah, the I usually doesn't. The eye usually responds to get something. But when we are actually seeing through the eye, when the separate sense of self, when that boundary begins to fall away, the appropriate response is always something that is generous to all parties, including the self. Thank you. Thank you. And thank all of you. <laughs>